Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, I Love the 80s. Now here's Pastor Brian Owens with this week's message. We all have them. Crazy relatives. People who drive you absolutely up the wall. Every family has them, but I have a secret. If you can't identify them right now, maybe there's a problem. Because in your family, it's probably you. (laughs) Come on now, as soon as I brought it up, you immediately thought of some crazy uncle, or cousin, or parent, or sibling, or child, or grandparents. Now, grandparents kind of get get away with it because they're just assumed to be old and senile and grumpy and so they get forgiven for their codger behavior. Well welcome to week three of I Love the 80s Family TV Edition. The Cosby Show was one of my favorites every Thursday night. Who watched it? It was awesome and many of you watch it now in reruns and they're a great way to make the points that I'm going to make today. Now, two weeks ago, um, a lovely lady named Kelly, uh, I'm not going to talk too much about her because I'm kind of partial to her, brought a powerful message on the tools we need to build a home, a solid home. And then last week, Pastor Josh talked about building a firm foundation for your home with the church. Well, today we're going to be talking about crazy relatives. I have named this sermon Crazy Uncle Joe. Now, I don't have a crazy Uncle Joe, and I'm not about to name any actual crazy people in my family because they watch this and it's recorded, and so my mama didn't raise a fool. However, I know a guy named Joe, and he's pretty crazy, but I'm not going to talk about that anymore right now. But I am going to talk about another guy named Joe here in just a minute. Now, for those of you with smartphones or tablets, you can follow along on the Uversion app. Just click live events, type in the keyword vertical, and click crazy Uncle Joe. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking in Genesis, starting with chapter 37. We'll get there in just a minute. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on version, or you can just look at the screen. The scriptures will be up there here in just a minute. So you think you have crazy relatives, right? Well, family is one of the most powerful forces in the world. There is no group of random people random, different, crazy people who can drive you absolutely bonkers. They can make you feel infinitely loved. They can pour into you confidence and self-assurance, compassion, forgiveness, and grace. They can also play on your greatest insecurities. Speak words that hurt worse than any knife stabbed into your back. People who can shatter your self-esteem in a second. They can also also foster rebellion, prejudice, fear, and angst. Ah, family. There's nothing like it. Well, in the book of Genesis, we learn about the sons of Jacob. Now, Jacob is also known as Israel. And many of you have heard of a little country called Israel. When this story starts in chapter 37, Jacob had 11 sons but would eventually have 12. The descendants of these sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. As we go through this story, which centers around Jacob's next to youngest son, Joseph, I think we might see a bit of ourselves in it. Let's start in Genesis chapter 37, 
verses 1 through 4. The scriptures will be on your screen here in a second. Meanwhile, Jacob had settled down where his father had lived, the land of Canaan. This is the story of Jacob. The story continues with Joseph, 17 years old at the time, helping out his brothers in herding the flocks. These were his half-brothers, actually the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Say that fast three times. And Joseph brought his father bad reports on them. He was a tattletale. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the child of his old age. And when he made him an elaborately embroidered coat. You've all heard of the coat of many colors that Joseph wore. When his brothers realized that their father loved him more than them, they grew to hate him. They wouldn't even speak to him. We all start in Canaan. We all start with a group of crazy family members who pour into us at a very early age. Now, many of you started with a crazy group of parents who spoke life into you, confidence and reassurance. Some of you may not have. Well, with Joseph, he was undoubtedly one of the most spoiled young men in the history of Scripture. Now, he had 10 other brothers at the time, and they had to work hard. They were in the fields, and Joseph was constantly tattletaling on him. You know, I can picture all kinds of different things. Scripture doesn't go into detail about what happened here. But for, for Scripture to actually pause and say that he brought their father bad reports, that says something significant to me. That says that Joseph was <laughs> spoiled. Um, you know, I try to teach my kids all the time, you don't have to tattletale, work it out. It doesn't seem to work. Um, and so this went on for years and years and years. And finally, um, uh, Israel, Jacob, had sent the sons out uh, with the flocks to graze. And they had been gone for a while. And you can read the, the story in Genesis as well. But basically what happens is uh, Jacob sends Joseph to kind of check on his brothers and to bring him back a report. Now, of course, the brothers are going to assume that it's a bad report because that's what Joseph does. And so they see him coming and they huddle and they begin to plot. And they begin to plot how they're going to kill him. They're going to kill his brother. You think your day was bad. His brothers are plotting to kill him. Well, he gets closer and they attack him and they rip that coat right off his back and they throw him in a pit. They throw him in a pit. They don't kill him yet, but they plan to. Well, they're sitting around eating dinner while their brother Joseph is laying in this pit. They're sitting around eating dinner and suddenly the Midianite traders come and they make the decision that they're not going to kill him. They're just going to sell him into slavery. Yeah, that's a step up. The story of Joseph is a complicated one, but it starts with his family in Canaan. All of our stories start there with crazy relatives. Sometimes the crazy relatives are ours, and sometimes it's us. Genesis chapter 37, verses 25 to 28. Then they sat down to eat supper. These are Joseph's brothers. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites on their way from Gilead, their camels loaded with spices, ornaments, and perfumes to sell in Egypt. Judah said, Brothers, what are we going to get out of killing our brother 
and concealing the evidence. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. So basically, they don't get anything out of it if they kill him. But if they sell him, they might pocket some money. But let's not kill him. He is, after all, our brother. Wasn't that nice? Our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. By that time, the Midianite traders were passing by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph with them down to Egypt. Now remember, Joseph is 17 years old here. Now, it doesn't end there. You know, if, if that was the worst part of it, it would still be pretty bad. But Joseph gets sold to the Midianite traders, and they take him down into the land of Egypt, where the Midianites come in contact with a man named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was a powerful figure in the Egyptian government there, and Potiphar bought him, and Joseph quickly became Potiphar's favorite. Again, the story is detailed in great length. I don't have time to read it all today, but you can read about it. But they, but Joseph quickly became the, the leader of this household. There was no one in the household who had more power and authority than Joseph. Potiphar trusted him with everything, with his finances, with his herds, with his household, everything. Joseph ran the show. I really like Joseph. He's an administrator. <sighs> that is a godly calling. But there's one thing that Potiphar did not just trust Joseph with, and that was his wife. Well, Joseph knew his boundaries. Through this entire process, there was one thing that stayed the same, and that was Joseph's faith and trust in God. Well, Joseph was a stud. I mean, Scripture talks very clearly about how handsome he was. And so, all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife started getting the hots for Joseph and starts chasing after him. The story goes on and on about how many times she tries to seduce him. Now, there's no indication of what this woman looked like. You know, she could have been Jabba the Hutt. She could have been somebody else, some supermodel. We don't know, but all we know is that she wanted Joseph, and Joseph was powerful. His attraction was powerful, and she wanted it, and he refused. And so one day when Potiphar was away, she basically cornered him, and Joseph still resisted. And when he did, he ran from her, and she pretty much tore his clothes off. And so here's this stud running through the house, basically naked. Well, when it was all said and done, she made it sound like Joseph had attacked her. So not only did she try to attack him, she turned it on him, and so Potiphar had no choice. He could have killed Joseph on the spot. And that, and that tradition at that time that was the punishment for that kind of thing. If a slave dared to go after anything that belonged to the master, they were killed on the spot. It has to say something about Joseph that instead of killing him, Potiphar threw him in jail, in prison, where Joseph stayed for a long time. Now, get in, keep in mind, Joseph hadn't done anything wrong. All of this started by a few decisions from some crazy relatives that set all of this in motion. And Joseph's just having to walk through it. He spent years, years in a dungeon, basically. Well, Joseph, being the man that he was, suddenly became the favorite. He worked hard. The jailer made him in charge of everything and everybody. Joseph got the work done, and so he became the favorite. You think, okay, he's in jail. It can't be that good. Well, you know, you can be in jail and be the least favorite, 
and you can be in jail and be the favorite of the jailer. And Joseph was the favorite. And so suddenly, he, one day, Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, Pharaoh became disillusioned, we'll use that word, disillusioned with his baker and cupbearer. The cupbearer is the guy that basically stood beside the throne with a cup. And when Pharaoh got thirsty, he can grab the cup. I don't have anybody to, yeah. So I have to get my own water. Well, Pharaoh didn't have to do that. So the cupbearer the cup uh, did something to make Pharaoh upset, and so Pharaoh threw him in jail. And the baker, I don't know if the bread was stale or the cake didn't have enough sugar, I don't know. But he got thrown in jail too. So he found himself in jail, and they had a couple of dreams. And, you know, the, dream, the dreams really aren't that important. Basically, the cupbearer the cup dreamed that he was being restored to Pharaoh's household, and the baker dreamed that... Um, his head was getting cut off, and when they woke up, they were agitated. Imagine, especially the baker, I would be a little agitated. Anyway, Joseph interpreted the dream, and sure enough, exactly what Joseph said happened, was going to happen, happened very shortly. And he asked the cupbearer, when you return to Pharaoh's house, think of me. Tell Pharaoh about me. I don't deserve to be here. He forgot. Jacob got a raw deal. I'm sorry, Joseph got a raw deal. There's no doubt about it. The choices made in Canaan set in motion a series of events that make the word unfair seem grossly inadequate. He was a slave and then a prisoner. But through it all, Joseph made a conscious decision to keep his integrity. And what did it get him? More captivity. Well, guess what? We all have seasons of captivity. We all go through times in our lives when we feel like slaves and prisoners to the circumstances that are around us. We're saddled with a bunch of crazy people that we call our family who drive us bonkers. We're saddled with a job that we don't think is where we need to be, and we struggle with it every day. We have children who, despite our best efforts and our earnest prayers, make really bad choices. We all have seasons of captivity. The difference is Joseph walked through it with integrity. I'm going to go back to verse 8 in chapter 46 for a, for a reason. When they were talking about his dreams, they said, we dreamed dreams and there's no one to interpret them. They're talking to Joseph. This is the baker and the cupbearer saying, we dreamed dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, well, don't interpretations come from God? Tell me the dreams. Now remember, God had given Joseph dreams. God gave Joseph dreams back when he was a young boy. And those dreams really upset his brothers and his father. Because basically the dream said, you guys are going to bow down to me. And to his brothers, it sounded like this spoiled kid who thinks he's better than everybody else. I'm going to bow down to him? I don't think so. Because in our society, the older children have the favorability. I'm not going to bow down to the 11th son. Are you kidding me? But God had given Joseph dreams as a child. Now, suddenly, through all of his turmoil, from things set in motion by a bunch of crazy relatives, God was allowing Joseph to interpret the dreams of others. I don't think that's a coincidence. Well, the story goes on, and we get into Genesis chapter 41, verses 39 through 43. I'm going to come back and fill in the gaps here in a second. 
So Pharaoh said to Joseph, you're the man for us. God has given you the inside story. No one is as qualified as you in experience and wisdom. From now on, you're in charge of my affairs. All my people will report to you. Only as king will I be over you. So Pharaoh commissioned Joseph. I'm putting you in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his finger and slipped it on Joseph's hand. He outfitted him in robes of the best linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He put the second-in-command chariot at his disposal, and he rode. And as he rode, people shouted, Bravo! People don't do that to me. Joseph was in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Now, this all comes back to the fact that God was allowing Joseph to interpret the dreams of others. Two years had passed since the cupbearer had gotten released from prison and forgotten all about Joseph. You know, he got hit, yeah, he wanted, so there was no reason for him to worry about somebody else. Suddenly, Pharaoh begins having nightmares. And he wakes up and he goes to his magicians and his wizards and, and people who are supposed to know how to interpret these things, and they were clueless. Basically, some healthy cows come up out of the Nile River. And then some really unhealthy cows come up out of the Nile River. And the unhealthy cows eat the healthy cows. It's kind of gross. And then he has another dream where some healthy grain stalks grow up, seven of them. And suddenly, seven unhealthy grain, withering, brittle, dry, they grow up. And they devour the healthy ones. Joseph wakes up. He's startled. He doesn't know what to do. Well, the cupbearer overhears this, and he's like, light bulb. I can get getting good with Pharaoh here. Hey, your majesty, there's this guy back in prison. He didn't, he forgets to say two years ago. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you this. There's this guy back in prison. He can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Joseph comes in and he says, tell me your dream. And Pharaoh tells him the dream. And Joseph says, this is what the Lord says to you. The dreams are one and the same. Seven years of, of outstanding harvest. Seven years of bounty followed by seven years of the worst famine that has ever been seen. You need to be prepared. That's what's coming. You need to put someone in place to make sure that your country survives because it's going to be bad. And Pharaoh, standing there, first of all, imagine the position of this king. Now, in Egyptian lore, the Pharaoh was a god, basically. He wasn't just king. He was a god. And the words that he spoke carried the weight of deity. And so here is the god Pharaoh talking to the prisoner Joseph and suddenly believes everything that this kid is telling him. This kid that's now 30 years old. 13 years of captivity and slavery and prison brings them to this moment. So what does Pharaoh say? Well, I know you're a prisoner and all, but I'm going to make you the ruler of this country. I'm going to give you the ring off of my hand, and I'm going to make you second in command of my country. And everyone's going to bow down to you. Everyone's going to do what you tell them to do. You make it happen. But Joseph had won the lottery. A few weeks ago, we had this $461 million lottery, and you know, most of y'all bought tickets. You know you did. Most of you did. None of you won, because I haven't gotten the tithe check yet. 
But Joseph really won the lottery. In a matter of a few seconds, he went from a lowly prisoner to the vice president of Egypt, dressed in the finest robes. Pharaoh gave him a wife. I hope that he liked her because she was suddenly his wife. Apparently he did because they had two kids pretty quickly. He had power and wealth and a family. He had everything he wanted, right? Everything. So what did he do? Did he sit back and relax and say, oh, finally, after 13 years of pure hell, I'm just going to sit back. Mm -mm. He did the exact same thing that he did when he was in captivity. He went to work. He went to work. And he saved a nation. He did something that had never been done before. He organized farmers and storehouses and all this other stuff. This is why Joseph is my hero. He is an administrator's administrator. He can make things happen that nobody thinks are possible. Talk about organization. I love this guy. I'm telling you, it is a God-given gift. He did something that was virtually impossible. How? How did he do it? Why wasn't he bitter? I mean, had God not forsaken him? Had God not allowed him to be in prison? Had God not allowed him to be lied about and sold into slavery? Why? Well, this is why. Here we go. We're going to go back to verses 15 and 16 when Joseph is interacting with Pharaoh about his dream. Verse 15 says, I dreamed a dream, Pharaoh told Joseph. Nobody can interpret it. But I've heard that just by hearing a dream, you can interpret it. This is it right here. This is it right here, so get ready. Joseph answered, not I, but God. God will set Pharaoh's mind at ease. This was the theme of Joseph's Joseph's life. I can't, but God can. I can't survive slavery, but God through me can. I can't survive prison for something that I didn't do, but God through me can not only help me to survive, but minister to others in the process. I can't, but God can. Well, We go through the story, and as many of you know, what happens is that the famine spreads, not just in Egypt, but into the land of Canaan. It reaches the family of Jacob, Joseph's brothers. And by this time, Benjamin has been born, Joseph's younger brother, and um, Benjamin and Joseph's mother has died. Well, they're starving. And so jo- Jacob says, why are we sitting around on our hands? There's food in Egypt. Go, get some. And so the, these 10 Brothers, Benjamin has to stay because Jacob is fiercely protective of him. He's already lost Joseph. I'm not going to lose Benjamin. So these ten guys go, and they come up to Joseph, and they don't recognize him. Standing right in front of them is the man they viciously betrayed, and they have no clue who he is. But Joseph does. He knows who they are. He knows that looking him in the eyes is betrayal itself. The decisions of these men set in motion pain like none of us could ever understand. He's ticked. 
I, I probably would be too. And so he starts this intricate plan of basically framing them. He sends them back with food, and he puts their money back in their grain sacks. And so they get back home, and they're dumping out their grain sacks, and they see their money, and they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Well, they, he has kept one of the brothers there and said, I'll believe that you're not spies when you come back and get your brother that you've left here with us. But you've got to bring Benjamin. You've got to bring that younger brother. Now, they have no idea who Joseph is, but they know that Jacob is not going to easily let go of Benjamin. But Joseph says, you bring the boy or your brother dies. It's that simple. And so they go back and they decide to wait it out. Maybe, maybe he'll relent. Maybe he'll just send him home. They go through all their food and now they're starving again. Jacob says, go back to Egypt. They're like, dad, we can't. We can't go back to Egypt. This guy will kill us if we don't bring Benjamin. And you're telling us we can't take Benjamin. Well, finally, Jacob comes to his senses and says, look, the family's starving. We got to have food. Take him, but please be careful with him. So they send him on. And they get there. And again, they have no clue who he is. Joseph comes face to face with his full brother that he's never known. I bet he sees a little bit of himself. I know when I look at my brother, I see a little bit of myself, even though we don't look that much alike. But again, he comes face to face with betrayal and anger, and it wells up inside of him, and he's trying to decide what to do. And so he decides to fill up their grain sacks and send them on their way, but he puts his cup. Remember the cupbearer? He puts that chalice, his cup. Pharaoh has one, and he has one. He puts it in Benjamin's grain sack, framing them. And so they get just outside of the city, just outside of the city, and the guards catch them. Why would you steal from us? After all that we've done for you, why would you steal from us? And they're like, no, we would never, on their faces, we would never do that. And sure enough, one by one, they lined up, oldest, youngest, and they cut open the grain sacks, empty, 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 empty. They get to Benjamin's, and there it is. And they start ripping their clothes. Now, in Jewish days, ripping your clothes, we call that a temper tantrum or a hissy fit. They rip their clothes. And here they go, going back to the palace. Joseph says to them, how could you do this to me? I've been nothing but good for you. I fed your family. You were starving, and I fed you, and you stole from me. Knowing the whole time, they didn't steal from him. And finally, he can't take it anymore, and he makes a very critical decision. He makes a very critical decision. He decides, you know what? I can continue to live my life with bitterness and anger feeling betrayed, or I can forgive. And he sends out all of the Egyptians, sends them out of the room, and you know those Hebrews are in that room shaking because they have no clue who this guy is. And then Joseph reveals himself, and they stand there in disbelief. What? How can this be? You should be dead. Joseph, Joseph's life was rough. It was rough. No matter what you've been through, no matter what I've been through, it can't compare to this. What started off as a course set in motion by crazy relatives turned into the salvation of nations. 
nations, not just the country of Egypt. Not just Egypt was saved because of what Joseph did. Other surrounding countries came from all over the region to get food from Egypt. Joseph's actions saved millions of people. What made the difference? I can't, but God can. I can't, but God can. This isn't about me. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what my father said to me that cursed me. It doesn't matter how my best friend betrayed me. It doesn't matter how my former pastor just destroyed me by making really bad choices. That doesn't matter because it's not about them. It's about him. You see, there's no excuse. Yeah, I know many of you in this room have been through some really tough stuff. So have I. And there have been many times in my life that I could have chosen bitterness and anger, resentment. I could let it eat me up from the inside. I know you can too. It doesn't matter what our crazy relatives have done. I've got them and you've got them. It doesn't matter what our former friends have done. It doesn't matter how we've been hurt or betrayed, an ex-husband or an ex-wife. What matters is how we choose to go forward. That's what matters. And the choice is ours. And the answer is this. I can't, but God can. I can't, but God can. Toferman guys are going to come as we get ready to close. See, here's the thing. This is the kicker. This is what we're trying to get out of this. There's no excuse. We have no excuse. God loves us. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. It doesn't matter what has been done to us. And it doesn't matter what we've done. He loves us. We can't make the difference. We can't choose a different path. Some things happen by choices that other people make. We can't fix that. All we can do is be faithful in the journey. Whether we are still in Canaan with a bunch of crazy people who have it out for us, or if we're in a season of captivity where we see no way out. 13 years of slavery and imprisonment. Now, can I promise you that you're going to win the lottery? No. I wish I could because I would certainly prophesy that to myself. But what I can promise you is that when we want control, you see, we all want control. We all want control. But control is no different than captivity. As long as our hearts are right, the control is God's, not ours. And the very idea that suddenly when Joseph had everything that he wanted, that he was in control is ludicrous. Because what, what was in fact the case, what his crazy brothers meant for harm and evil, God meant for good. God saw this. Did he like it? Does he like that humans are weak and have the tendency to hurt other people? No. But he knows it's there. And so he used that 
to save nations. To save them, they would, be, they would starve to death. To save them. It doesn't matter what your crazy relatives have done. It doesn't matter what you've done. God wants to use it for your good. God wants to use it for his good. God wants to use your experience to save nations. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what you've been through? I know what I've been through. I know what I've been through. And I get to stand up here and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ because of what I've been through. I don't just dig Joseph because he's a good administrator. I dig Joseph because in the moments of the worst pain, in those moments when everybody else would look away and say, nope, nope, I give up. He said, I can't, but God can. Stand with me. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.